Everybody's saying how hot it is. Well, that's because it's hot outside. Okay, we've been looking at elements of theology. We started out looking at the doctrine of salvation, and then after that we looked at the source of our Bible and how the Bible that you have on your lap was put together. We spent a couple of weeks looking at God the Father, then we looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, and then last week we looked at the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to put that together, all three, and we're going to look at the Trinity there was some of the things that I excluded from our study of each because they were going to be better brought to light as we looked at the Trinity. So tonight we're going to be looking at that doctrine. Now I just want to read through a series of verses that speak of the concept of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 16, now these are not going to be on the board because I did them, I just felt the Lord uh, leaded me in this direction before service, and so... If you want to write them down, you're more than welcome to. I'll read slow, as slow as I read. <laughs> Isaiah 48:16 is the first one. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there, and now the Lord God and His Spirit has sent me. It's a messianic verse. The me would be the Lord Jesus Christ. We have God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 when he, Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Representation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 through 15. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit represented. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God had sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Ephesians 2.18. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 2. Speaking of the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. 
Last one, 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. So, doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We don't really turn to any particular chapter. We could go to any of those verses and start there. Decided to start with them all. But the first thing when you discover when studying the Trinity that there is no one place in the Bible that you really build the whole doctrine from. Matter of fact, the word Trinity is not even mentioned in the Bible. We've just seen it exists in the Bible, but the word does not exist in the Bible. Matter of fact, some people say, some cults say, Jehovah Witnesses specifically, because the word Trinity does not exist in the Bible, then the concept does not exist. We'll look at the end of the study and what they believe, but they do not believe in the Trinity as we do and as we believe that the Bible, in fact, does teach. Matter of fact, if you have a Jehovah Witness that approaches you and attacks the Trinity in that manner, there's nowhere in the Bible where it uses the word Trinity, well, you can turn to them and say, nowhere in the Bible in the original languages will you find the word Jehovah. That word does not exist because Jehovah is a Latin derivative of the Tetragrammaton Yahweh. And so you could, you know, if they're, if they're not going to allow you to go to the direction of the Trinity because that word's not there, you, they've got a bigger problem than you have because, well, they think a lot of themselves because they call themselves Jehovah Witness, but the word Jehovah is a Latin derivative of Yahweh. Yahweh obviously does exist in the Bible. The word Jehovah in the original languages does not exist. You may have a Bible that says Jehovah in it, but what I'm saying is in the original languages. The word Trinity comes from the Latin Trinitas, which means threeness. We know this threeness of God to be Father, to be Son, and to be Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but the threeness of one God. Since the Trinity is not explained in detail, but the concept is there, and as much as God has revealed this doctrine to us, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to study it. We have a responsibility to digest it, and we have a responsibility, since the Bible does teach it, to receive it and believe it. Today I am teaching on something that is impossible to totally comprehend, though. I cannot tell you how... I cannot explain to you in detail how there can be one God, yet three persons in one. But just because we cannot fully understand it does not mean that it's not true. And even as I said in my prayer, I thank God that I have a God that is bigger than me. I, have, I thank God that I have a God that I cannot fully understand and comprehend. He has revealed himself to me, and as he has revealed himself to me, I must receive what he has revealed. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. There's going to be elements of God and who he is that are greater than us that we're just not going to be able to fully understand. I mentioned this verse this morning in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So again, you've got the Bible on your lap. You've got a lifetime of learning and doing right there. We are not to concern ourselves, as the Scriptures say, with the things that God has not revealed. Why? Because He has not revealed them. If He hasn't revealed them, then you will not know them. And so the Holy Spirit 
the Son and the Father, the Trinity, he has revealed that concept to me. He hasn't revealed all of the details to me. So I'll start out by saying that this is what the Bible says. That's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at specifically, this is what the Bible says concerning the Trinity. The first thing that we need to see concerning the subject of the Trinity is that the Bible is very emphatic, very important to understand this, there is only one God. There is only one God. You have to start there or else you will come to a polytheistic conclusion, the conclusion that there is multiple gods, that is a heresy. Bible's very clear, there is one God. Mormons believe in uh, multiple gods, Hindus believe in multiple gods, a lot of faiths do, but the Bible only speaks of one God. The Bible's very clear. First, we have the evidence of the oneness of God in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is no other besides him. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 32, 39. Now see that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. And then I, I don't remember which study it was that we were looking at, one of our past studies, Isaiah chapter 43 through, or I'm sorry, 44 through 46. Actually, I think it does start in 40. 43 and it does and i've got these scriptures underlined again when a cult comes to me and tells me that they're going to be a god or i can be a god or whatever the bible's very emphatic the scriptures i just read here is a a a, a, a one spot that you can kind of go to again it's very emphatic and you're not all over the bible in, in uh, isaiah chapter 43 verses 11 and 12 i even i am the lord and besides me there is no savior I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Down to verse 18. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. And that's not one of them. I just had that underlined, so that one doesn't count. But we'll go to chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God chapter same chapter verse 8 do not fear do not be afraid have i not told you from that time and declared that you are my witnesses is there a god beside me indeed there is no other rock i know not one so again very emphatic this time chapter 45 verse 21 and there is no other god besides me a just god and a savior there is none besides me verse 22 look to me and be saved all you ends of the earth for I am God, and there is no other. Chapter 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. The problem is, this is Isaiah speaking to the northern kingdom who is indulging in idolatry, and God's saying, there is no other God. There is only one God. And so the Bible, as we're studying this, if we're going to study this with an open mind and not preconceived notions and whatever, looking at this in a fresh way, the first conclusion I have to come to, based upon what the Old Testament says, and we'll marry it with the New Testament here in a minute, that there is only one God. Now, again, New Testament confirmation, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I 
read it a little earlier, chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. Therefore, considering the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, and that would be a small g gods, gods that men have made, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many idols, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, to whom are all things and through whom we live. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus answered, The first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Old Testament confirmed by the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there is a little bit of a hint here, and again, the Bible is as deep as you want to go. You can read it devotionally. When I sit down, I go through the one-year Bible, just as I encourage you to do, and I do it in the mornings, one of the first things I do. I sit down, and I do not sit down with a pad of paper when I do it, or sometimes I'll read from the computer, but I'm not typing out on the computer. I just want to read it devotionally. I want to hear what God just has to speak to Mike, not Pastor Mike or anything else. I just want to read it devotionally. What does God have to say for, to me today? Maybe God's speaking to something in preparation or leading me in a particular direction personally, whatever it might be, so I read it devotionally. But then I come into the office, I turn on my computer, and I start getting into it, and I start breaking it apart and studying it in a deeper manner. And here, the word used for one in the Old Testament verses gives us a clue to this doctrine. It's the Hebrew, Hebrew word akkad. It's used as we would call a bunch of grapes or a crowd of people one, like this is a church, a church. There's a bunch of people in here, but we are one. And so that one used of God is used in that same context. Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 24. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so, looking at God, we understand that there's not a group of gods here. There is one God, but there's a polarity of this one God. And so, the Bible's very clear that God is one, but we also know that God is three persons. The theological definition of persons here, any sense of existence expressing itself in knowledge, feelings, and a will. We know in Jesus Christ it's very obvious that he had knowledge, that he had feelings and a will, and it's very obvious that the Father, knowledge, feelings, and a will, and it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit, in that we are able to grieve the Holy Spirit. They had feelings. When, 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 we, when we get into a church and there's divisions in a church and the church isn't fulfilling its purpose, it grieves the heart of the Holy Spirit. We're able to hinder what the Holy Spirit wants to do just simply through disobedience in our lives. And so we see that each one of these are definitely a person. Evidence for the Trinity in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 1, you see it right out of the gate. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so we saw that, well, there's God, there's God the Father. Well, if I connect Genesis with Colossians, and that's what we did when we were studying Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, it explicitly told us that everything that was created was created by the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can connect Christ with what's going on here in Genesis chapter 1. And then blatantly, we see the Spirit of God. And we talked about that last week. We talked about, well, there's God who created all. And then there was the power of God, the Holy Spirit, that brought everything together in creation. And so we've got the Word, we've got the Father, and we've got the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Body, soul, and spirit, we knew that to be. And then there's kind of a play on words that the Lord uses in Genesis chapter 11 and verses 3 and 4. This is man after the the flood. I'll actually start at verse 1 in chapter 11 of Genesis. It says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, man said to one another, come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. This is what they began to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. And then verse 7, come, let us. So man says, come, let us. And what we're going to do, then God says, come, let us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us go down there and confuse their language. And then, again, I believe it was the first verse that I've read starting the study in Isaiah chapter 48. We see the Trinity there as well, the polarity of God. Chapter 48, starting at verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Indeed, my hands have laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of you assemble yourselves and hear. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and his way will prosper. Come now near to me. Hear this. Have I not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was? I was there, and now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. When he says, have sent me, again, it's messianic, speaking of the future coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God would be the Father, and his Spirit would be the Holy Spirit. And so entering into the New Testament, this is not a strange doctrine, that there is one God, but there's three persons. Again, Jesus is the expressed image of the Father, so we know that it's in Christ that we have understanding, and so we start getting that picture very early in Jesus' ministry In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, we have Jesus. He's preparing for his earthly ministry. He's 30 years old at this time. 
And so as he's preparing for that earthly ministry, we see the first thing that he does, and it's an example for us, it's a reality that was necessary and an example for us, Jesus is baptized. It's not just the water baptism, but he's also baptized, and it's what we looked at last week. He's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then the Spirit as a dove. So this was not a dove coming down upon him. It was the Spirit. The Spirit as a dove alighted upon him. Matthew 3, verses 16 through 17. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, again, the Bible is very emphatic. There's one God. Jesus confirmed that there's one God. But nonetheless, we see the Holy Spirit and we'll speak of the deity of the Holy Spirit in a minute. Obviously, God the Father is God. And then there's the son. Well, if this is the son of the father, then obviously he's going to have the nature and the essence of the father. He's going to be God. And so we see something very valuable here. The heavens were open to him. This is after he was baptized. So the idea, what's baptism a picture of? A baptism is a picture of salvation. We're going to be doing that a week from today, almost at this very moment, maybe a couple hours earlier. We're going to be having our baptism. The person goes down into the water. The idea is that they have died. They come out of the water. The idea is they're a new creation in Christ. It's not necessarily true that everybody is going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but now that person is saved, and now the idea is to go forth and make disciples. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit to do that work. We see this example in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Do this work in the totality. Baptize them in the name of the totality of who God is. God is one, but there's three persons. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So starting to build on these verses, there's, this is a doctrine that cannot be ignored. You have to explain this, and you cannot explain it away because it's part of the Word of God. And again, men have tried to explain it away, but they have done so in heretical, heretical terms with heretical ideas. Now, there is an evidence of the Trinity that is stated in the Old Testament and confirmed in the New Testament, and I see these as being very valuable, such as Jesus confirming that the Lord God is one. But there's one that goes a little bit deeper. I don't know if that's really a proper term here, but maybe it's a little bit more emphatic. Turn over to that well-known verse, Isaiah chapter 6. You sang some of it here tonight. Again, putting yourself in the place of, of, uh, of Isaiah. Here's Isaiah, a very vulnerable place in his life, a very vulnerable place in his ministry. He says it was in the year that King Uzziah died, so obviously there was a, this was an important event in the history of Israel, and I believe a very important event in his life because something just really stood out at that moment in his life. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And again, King Uzziah, he was favored of King Uzziah. Some people say that King Uzziah was a relative of his. I don't know if that's true or not. But 
when the king, well, you're in the favor of the king, you can pretty much say what you want, and Isaiah has pretty much been saying what he wants. Everything that he says is true, but he's been, he's been yelling condemnation at the people. Problem is, he hasn't looked at himself. Now he's standing before God. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, from that which he had depended upon had gone away. And whenever it is that you depend upon apart from God and it's taken away, your senses are definitely sharpened. But he says, it was in that year that I saw the Lord seated upon the throne. So he was dependent upon Uzziah, but in actuality, it's God who is seated upon the throne in that place of authority. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Why holy, holy, holy? Well, I, I really believe it's because God is holy to the third degree, his unobtainable majesty. Nowhere in the scriptures do you see, well, you do see that we are to be holy, but nowhere do you see that we are holy, holy, holy. Really believe that that's reserved for God. Now, some people teach, and it's very possible that that could be a reference to the Trinity there. Holy, 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 the totality of God. Just keep that in the back of your mind, and we'll move on. And the posts of the door were shaken, and the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so he was realizing all of those judgments that I spoke of those people saying they were deserving of, they were. But the problem is, he's come to the realization, so am I. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And so I'm not saying this is just, just a, a real blatant picture of the Trinity, but I can relate here. There came the time when I was convicted of my sin. As I was convicted of my sin, it was the Lord Jesus Christ who came into my life and revealed the Father to me, and it was the Holy Spirit that sent me to do the work of ministry. Now, those are all truths, but you could say, well, where do you see that here? Are you getting that from the holy, holy, holy? Well, I think we need to biblically ask ourselves, since it is explained, that who was there? Who does the Bible say was there when Isaiah saw God seated upon the throne? Or maybe I should say, who did exactly did he see? Well, I think if you just look at this, I saw the Lord seated upon the throne. We can safely say, if you want to argue against it, that's fine. But I think we can safely say God the Father was there. But now turn all the way over to Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 25. Acts chapter 28 verse 25. Luke writing, but you have to remember, Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so this is not Luke just writing, this is God speaking to his people. The word of God is God breathed. So Acts chapter 28, verse 25, so when they did not agree amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of the people have grown dull, and their ears have heart of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their 
with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. I didn't really read far enough, but he's quoting there Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah. The Holy Spirit was present at that time when he saw God seated upon the throne. Then turn over, or at least backwards, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 35. John chapter 12, verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so I should heal them. Again, these are references to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Him? Him, if you would study in the original language, is he who had just spoken. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what, 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 what John is saying is, is that as Isaiah wrote of those things, Isaiah was writing of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord had spoken to him. And so once again, we're seeing in Isaiah chapter 6, comparing Scripture with Scripture, we've got a picture of the Trinity, which would make sense because Isaiah... He, he had that privilege of seeing God seated upon the throne. And as you see God seated upon the throne, you come to the higher awareness that not only is God in control, again, the picture of God upon the throne means he's ruling and reigning, rules and reigns over all of creation. It's the totality of God who rules and reigns over creation. It's not partial pieces of God, it's the totality of God. So God is one, yet three distinct persons. If this is true, then they must be same in essence. I must be the same in essence of my Father. Essence, the fundamental nature of a thing. Same of essence. My father, my father was Italian. I'm half Italian. He had a full head of hair. I kind of got ripped off on that one. But as I pointed out before, I got the unibrow. I got the unibrow of Hank. If you see a picture of my dad, you can look at me and you can see that same eyebrow there. There are certain aspects, certain things that I have of my father that if you knew both of us, you could tell that I am my father's son. And so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if they truly are one, they must share some of the same elements, well, same fundamental nature, elements of their fundamental nature. And the Bible tells me all three are God, so they have to exist. The Father, well... In 1 Peter chapter 1, and, and what I'm getting here is they all have to be God. So does the Bible say all three are God? Well, again, I think you can just, not. we'll, we'll look at a scripture, but I don't think you're going to get any argument that the Father is, is God. But the Bible does say it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. 
And again, there's a picture of the, of the Trinity here in sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience of the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. But we just want to focus upon that one term right now because all three must be of the same fundamental nature. They must all be God. And here, God is spoken of as the Father. Now, I'm going to go through this again just because I think it's so important. And as I said before, I not only have these underlined in my Bible, but I also have the scriptures written next to them so that I can, I can go from verse to verse by verse. I have them all linked together because if somebody asks you, is Jesus Christ God? Or if you make that statement that Jesus Christ is God and somebody says, oh yeah, well, you believe that the Bible is the word of God. Show me in the Bible where it says that Jesus Christ is God. And you should be able to do that. And I'm telling you, you should be able to do that because the Bible emphatically tells you that Jesus Christ is God. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, remember, there's no other Savior but God. And here Jesus is spoken of as God and Savior. And then I have written next to that, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> Simon Peter, a bondservant apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, in this verbiage, he's not saying God, and then over here, Savior Jesus Christ. Or he's not saying God and Savior and Jesus Christ. All three are linked together. He's speaking of Jesus Christ, their Savior. And so... Those who will try to do that, and I've had that happen before. Well, yeah, where it says God and Savior Jesus Christ, that's God and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, then you could go back to Isaiah and said there is no other Savior but God. And so if Jesus is Savior, then Jesus is God. Again, the Bible got to support itself, and the Bible does support itself. Next to that, you can go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 8, where God the Father is even being quoted. Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 8. But to the Son, he says. <clears throat> now, when it says he, it is speaking of the Father. It is quoting the Father in the book of Psalms. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your throne, O God. Now, this is the Father speaking to the Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so you have a quote there that the Father is speaking to the Son, and he's calling him God. And then, if that wasn't quite enough or quite emphatic enough Romans chapter 9 is very clear Romans chapter 9 verse 5 of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh Christ came who is over all the eternally blessed God amen and so that's just flat out in your face kind of saying it and so there's no deny maybe you don't believe in the Bible or somebody doesn't I hope you do but somebody may not believe in the Bible, but the Bible definitely does say that Jesus Christ is God. Now, we already did this study, so I'm not getting into all the other scriptures. We saw that in our study of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, the Holy Spirit. Now, again, remember, God is one. And I'm saying that there's three per persons. And so, since God the Father is God, and since Jesus Christ is God we would have to have confirmed in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is God. And we have that in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. <clears throat> but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now keep that in your mind. 
they have lied, and Peter's pointing out, to the Holy Spirit, and keep back part of the price of the land for yourselves. And while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And so once again, he's definitely confirming there, and this isn't just Peter talking, this is God speaking through Peter, and actually, Luke is confirming it, because Luke is writing down these words that Peter said that God inspired him in, that you have lied to the Holy Spirit, and then he's confirming that the Holy Spirit is God, saying that you have lied to God. So, all three must be God. The Bible tells us that all three are God, even though it says God is one. Now, the Bible tells me to join it a little bit closer together, tighter together, all three, and that would make sense, well, then all three would have to have the same attributes. Well, attributes of the Father, he is past eternal. That means he lived forever in the past. He's uh, omnipotent. That means God is all-powerful. He's omnipresent, all-existent. He's omniscient, all-knowing. And he's holy, his unobtainable purity. And so, again, most people are not going to argue that you know, the Father, if you attach those attributes to the Father, I don't think you're going to get a whole lot. I mean, maybe an atheist, he's not going to believe in God anyway, but uh, you're, you're not going to get a whole lot of argument against that. But then we also see that Jesus Christ, he possesses the very same attributes that the Father, which would make sense if he's God, and that he's past eternal. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning, now when it says in the beginning, Greek word arche, that means in the beginning that means past eternity in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god omnipotent it means again that he is all powerful we see this in the great commission in john chapter i'm sorry in matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 jesus came and spoke to them and saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth omnipresent continue reading in the same section of scripture matthew chapter 28 this time verse 19 go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all things that i have commanded you and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age into the, the age would be the church age I know he's speaking to the apostles. The apostles aren't going to be around to the end of the age. They're present with the Lord up in heaven. Obviously, he's speaking to the church. He's going to be with the church even to the end of the age. So we're the church. He's with us. But there's other churches down the road who are good churches. Well, he's with them as well. There's churches on the other side of the world. He's with them as well. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. I'm not going to go into all these scriptures because of time. Just give you the... the uh, addresses he's omniscient he's all-knowing john chapter 16 verse 30 and acts chapter 3 verse 14 he is holy and so you've got that link once again that jesus is referred to as god and he has the same attributes of the father but this would have to also extend to the holy spirit and we see that it does as far as past eternity in hebrews let me get there way too many scriptures to pre Mark my Bible where they're all at. Hebrews chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 14. Again, speaking of the past eternity of the Holy Spirit, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer himself without spot to God? 
the eternal spirit. That means eternity past, eternity in the future. Omnipotent, all-powerful, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Omnipresent, that bears turning to and reading. Turn to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. King David at some point contemplated this and wrote it down. Verse 7, Psalm 139. Oh, where can I go from your spirit? Now remember, when a question is asked in the Bible, usually the answer is to the negative. So the answer would be nowhere, but he's going to go a little bit deeper than that. Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I flee from the presence of the spirit? If I ascend into heaven, he means if I go into outer space, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, he's talking about the depths of the earth, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of morning, if I get up at dawn and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, the deepest part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, truly the darkness shall fall on me, speaks of trials, and even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. And so you see that David has come to the conclusion there's nowhere that I can go that is apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Omniscient, John chapter 14, verse 26. And then as far as the Holy Spirit being holy, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And so we've seen that the Bible says, Old Testament, New Testament, that God is one. But we've seen Old Testament, New Testament, that God has also said, the Bible has also said, that there's Father Son, and Holy Spirit. We've seen that, well, the Bible tells us that the Father is God, Jesus Christ is God, the Holy Spirit is God. In order to prove that, the Bible also says they have the same attributes. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have the same attributes. So we can gather together. We can study the doctrine of the Trinity, and we can biblically believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. We receive what the Bible says on the subject of faith and belief and what God has revealed to us on this subject. Still, the knowledge and, and the subject of the Trinity is unfathomable. It, it truly is beyond us. Daniel Webster said, <clears throat> we believe the doctrine of the Trinity not because we understand it, because the Bible teaches it, and because the Spirit himself witnesses within our heart that it is so. And again, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, he's written such deep doctrine. And as he's in the midst of writing all of the doctrine there, it's as if he just kind of takes a break and he's just kind of overwhelmed as if the, the knowledge of the reality of what he has just written or spoken to whoever wrote it down. And he just, he's just got this little mini doxology in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, which I think is applicable to our study on the Trinity. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now I'm just going to take a few minutes, just five minutes, because we're running out of time. What do the cults say on the Trinity? Just some of the major cults, mostly just the, the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses and just some other false teachings that are out there. Well, the Mormons, they teach that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct 
beings. They teach that only the Holy Spirit is spirit. They say that only the Father and Son have material bodies. They also believe in a God the Mother. They believe in Mother God. They believe that God the Father is populating the earth. I don't remember. It's God the Father of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I just don't remember which one is populating the earth. They believe in a pantheon of gods. They believe that they are going to be gods. They believe that God the Father was the first man to achieve godhood. They believe all gods were once men, and man is the embryo form of God. They believe that Jesus Christ and Satan are even brothers. The Jehovah Witnesses, they believe that Jehovah is the only true God. Concerning the Trinity, they teach that Satan was the originator of this doctrine in 220. 200, I'm sorry, 2200 B.C., when Hindus advanced it, then finally Christians adopted it. They believe creation was a work of Jehovah with Jesus helping out, a process that they believe took seven days with each day consisting of 700 years. They believe that the Holy Spirit is a force of God, not a person, but a force of God. They believe that Jesus Christ is created by God. He is not immortal and is Michael, the archangel. They say he stopped being a spirit person and became a perfect man who earned immortality by being obedient to Jehovah. They believe that Jesus did not rise bodily from the grave and that he rose in an invisible spirit body as an immortal angel. Well, if you read through Hebrews chapter 1, it refutes any belief that Jesus Christ is an angel. And then there's other false teachings on the Trinity. There's tritheism, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three separate gods that are out there. Not one, but the Bible is very emphatic that God is one. Modelism, three modes of existence of three manifestations of one God. There's one God, and at times he reveals himself as the Holy Spirit, or other times he reveals himself as the Son, or reveals himself as the Father. And then there's Arianism, God the Father created Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ created the Holy Spirit. And I'll just close in another Old Testament reference. It's in the the book of Numbers. Again, we've seen so many times when God has something important to say that there's a revelation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, A few months ago, maybe it was at the beginning of the year, I don't really recall, we spent weeks going through Ephesians chapter 1. And we see the spiritual blessings that existed there. We saw the spiritual blessings of the Father, spiritual blessings of the Son, and the spiritual blessings of the Holy Spirit, verses 1 through 14. But here in Numbers, it says in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. And so God is saying, he he puts such importance on blessing his people that we need to know and understand this is the totality of God that blesses me. Again, verse 22, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, Now when it says, Lord, It's all capital letters, L-O-R-D, and so that's the word Yahweh here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The idea that would be the Father. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Well, how has God made his face shine upon us? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And be gracious to you. And then verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance or his spirit upon you 
and give you peace. The Trinity, the Trinity is from cover to cover. We could go through all the verses, but it would take weeks to do. There's no doubt about it. That God is one, but he's also three distinct persons. I can't explain how that can be and how that can come about, but I thank God that I'm not able to explain every detail of our Holy Lord. Father, once again, we just thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. I pray, Father, that we would never find a contentment that we would stop searching and digging, but I pray, Father, for the things that you have revealed that we would find that our contentment is in that. And so, Lord, I just pray that these things would strengthen us, but they would also prepare us. Because, Father, we run into those from time to time who are lost in a lie. And even as we saw this morning, that lie, that lie is the venom of the enemy, of the serpent. And it's that which kills. And so, Father, as we have been given the truth, I pray that we would live in your truth, that we would find contentment and comfort in your truth, but we would also be motivated by your truth. Continue to prepare us, Father, for every good work that you would have, we pray. Lord, I lift up those who have come out tonight. I pray that you would bless them. and.